This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Three Lions podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England football supporters podcast. I hope you're well. As always, thank you very much for tuning in. Don't forget, you can listen to any of the previous episodes that you may have missed by going back to your podcast provider of choice or threelionspodcast.com and you can follow the show on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, threads. Uh, Now, the most recent episode... That I put out was the preview episode for the Nations League with Rich Laverty. Uh, this is the review episode. We'll be looking at those games very soon. Uh, but prior to the preview episode, uh, there was the one where I spoke with Michael Galway about his book all about the 2006 FIFA World Cup. Now, if you've got any ideas about what you'd like to hear on the podcast, please do get in touch. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can do that either by those social media channels or you can email me threelinespodcast at gmail.com. Now, as I said, this is the review episode. Let's get on to it. First Women's Nations League got underway at the weekend and here to look over it and of course the Lionesses first couple of games is the Evening Standards Don Smith. Hello there. Hello there, how are we doing? Yeah, I'm very good, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, not too shabby either, thank you. Good stuff, good to hear from you, good to have you back on the, uh, the podcast. Last time we spoke of course was uh, when the Lionesses sort of exited the uh, Exited the World Cup at the hands of Spain. Uh, so these two games were well, their first games since that that period. Seems seems quite a while ago now, doesn't it? It certainly does. A lot's happened, and yet they haven't played a single minute of club football, of course. So uh, it's, it must, must be strange to go back to your club and, and, and join in with the tail end of pre-season and then be back with an international break before you know it. It's a strange thing, isn't it? Yeah, very strange sort of scenario. But that is... That is how the, the WSL is at the moment, I guess probably will be until, mm. until I guess that expands, um, as and when, uh, as and when it does, I guess. Um, but yeah, I don't, the, think there are any, I don't think there are any plans for that really. So, um, yeah, I think, we, I think, I think we could have this sort of situation for, for a good few years. Yeah, fair enough. Well, the, the Nations League, as we've seen in the, in the men's game, in my opinion, has been a, been a huge success. Uh, one of UEFA's, better ideas i guess um and and quite rightly i think they decided to incorporate it into the women's game of course we'd seen these big results against the likes of uh latvia and uh who else was the other one was it luxembourg Luxembourg, another l um so yeah this is i believe what what the women's game and, and the lionesses especially needed games against um teams of their own standard much like obviously that experience at the tail end of the World Cup. Um, we were drawn in Group A1 against Scotland 
and the Netherlands. They were our first two opponents, and Belgium were the other team still to come. Uh, first game, England against Scotland up at the Sunderland Stadium of Light, which I believe uh, you were there. I was indeed. It was a, it was a nice kind of chilly night. It, was, it, it wasn't it was brilliant football, but it was a good spectacle to see England-Scotland. It always is. Yeah. And uh, of course, the right result from an England perspective. It was a, a team that Serena selected. Three changes from the, the team that played Spain in that World Cup final. Katie Zellum came in for Kira Walsh, um, Kira Walsh um, still uh, with an injury. There was no Alessia Russo uh, and no Ella Toon initially. I, I, I've got to be honest, I, I didn't see this game. I was, I was, uh, <laughs> I was going around London on a, uh, an old Rootmaster drinking gin, but that's a, uh, another story. So I've seen the highlights, huh. but... What what was the situation with no Alessia Russo? Well, I, I think uh, for, for for personal reasons, she just happened to turn up to St George's Park for training a day later than the rest of the squad, so she was saved for the uh, Netherlands match. And I suppose, in a sense, that paid off because, of course, she scored in that game. But yeah, difficult match for England. Really, I, I thought that they were in charge in the first half without blowing Scotland away, and then Scotland were in charge in the second half without blowing England away. Right. I've seen the goals. Obviously, um, they came. Well, they all came in a like a five minute period before the the end of the first half. Lucy Bronze with a uh, with a with a header. Lauren Hemp with a header as well. Um, yeah. This was after Rachel Daly had had a had a goal chalked off. It was either offside or did it go to VAR? It, it was it was offside. It didn't go to VAR. I think they had goal line technology in play rather than VAR, which would have, which would make sense because, of course, we'll get onto it. But the yeah. Netherlands opener against England was was definitely offside. So um, it, I think it was a case whereby the corner was was taken, and then once Daly had made contact with her head, there was a player um, who was offside. I believe it was Chloe Kelly, kind of offside and in the, in the eye in the eye line of the goalkeeper. Ah. Um, so that that was the reason it was chalked off. I, th- I think it was actually a pretty good spot from the um, the assistant referee. Um, but England's two goals were brilliant headers. Lucy Bronze had been she said she said to us afterwards that she'd been practicing that that goal, you know, a cross field cross, and then she dives onto it with her head. She'd been practicing that throughout the World Cup, and she said it was ironic but but pleasing that the, the game after the World Cup <laughs> she, she does finally score it. And of course, it came in a state in the first men's stadium she ever played in her, her first. Senior football came as a 17-year-old for Sunderland. And she, um, when she was 17, one of her first matches at the Stadium of Light was, I think it was her first match, was Sunderland's famous FA Cup victory over Chelsea back then. Oh. Um, so um, here she was with her homecoming. She, she grew up in various parts of the northeast. Her parents moved around um, quite a lot, but she, they, they grew up in the northeast. So she had lots of friends and family at the game. So that would have been nice for her to score her 13th England goal. And then Hemp's header was extraordinary header, really. She threw herself at the ball, hurtled herself at it, and it flew into the top corner. And then a really scrappy goal to concede um, just before half-time, a couple of minutes after that, which came from Aston Villa's Kirsty Hansen, who kind of co-poked it off the post and in. Earps couldn't do much about it, but she was very frustrated by it. And I... at half-time, that gave, that gave Scotland a bit of... Uh, a bit of incentive to push in the second half, and that's exactly what they did. Yeah, just just touching on the um, that the Scotland, the goal that they scored just before half time. England sort of lost possession in the in the box after trying to play it out, and and Hanson guided it in off the post. 
going to touch on it, I guess, as well for the Netherlands game. But we we've been caught now a few times just trying to play out of the the box or play out from defence. Is this something that Serena has sort of changed her her ideology of? Well, I'm not sure. I think there's a big push in in all um, types of football now mm. to play out from the back because um, although it although you do risk conceding goals like that. I think what it provides for you going going forward and the, the, the opportunities it can create for you maybe outweigh that. Certainly, um, you know, in the men's game, Pep Guardiola and, and Jurgen Klopp and these sort of these big managers have always have always said that we will concede stupid goals, but it's it's better we play like this than not. And I think probably Serena Wiegmann falls into the same mm. category. Yeah, okay, there have been some sloppy goals that England have conceded, and they they weren't conceding as many goals a year ago, but look who they were playing a year ago. As you've mentioned, they were playing Luxembourg and, and Latvia. They put they put 20 past Latvia in Doncaster. I remember that. I could barely keep count. So uh, playing against uh, these these bigger nations, Scotland, the Netherlands, it, it could only do well for England. And OK, they they come out of two games with only three points, but they um, they have lots to look back on in terms of tapes and videos that they can they can be like, well, we need to... We need to do that better next time. Yeah, I guess you, you only pick up on these things when you sort of concede from them. Um, yeah. you, you don't notice them when uh, when nothing comes from them. The, as you say, Scotland came sort of into it um, in the second half, um, sort of the momentum of scoring that that late goal in the first half. Um, but it ultimately ended 2-1 to England. Although Lauren James scored sort of right at the very end, but it was... It was deemed offside, but that was incredibly close as well. Yeah, there were there, there were lots of decisions that seemed to go against England in this game, but it was good for them to get the uh, the win in the end. It was it was close, I agree, but yeah, um, yeah, not to be. So on the the same night, Belgium beat the the Netherlands two one in. I guess you could call that a bit of a a lowland derby. Um, they yeah. they won that in in injury time. So after that first game Belgium and the Lionesses were were joint top after one game so we went into the the Netherlands game on on a bit of momentum um this was being played in played away in in Utrecht um last night as as the time we're we're talking the only changes that Serena made saw Alessia Russo in for Chloe Kelly and Ella Toon came in for for Lauren James and I think it'd be safe to say England were just sort of started the game as they finished the Scotland game. Well, they didn't seem to have much of the ball, did they, in the opening no. few minutes? And, and that actually seemed to be a, sim- a symptom of, uh, yeah, the end of that Scotland game. And it also seemed to be indicative of how the rest of that match went on. Um, certainly the Netherlands were the better team in it. I think uh, they had more possession and uh, yeah, they had more goals as well by the end of it. So, yeah. Mm. Yes, yeah, it, was, it ended Netherlands to England one. The first goal came, and I mentioned about trying to to play it out from the back because this was where sort of Georgia Stanway got caught in possession. Um, Martin scored from it, but the the issue that has come about from it that there was clearly an offside in in the initial build up, yet there was no VAR used in the ground, and and we know from sort of experience here in England about maybe lower league sides don't have the the facility for VAR so they can't use them in in certain competitions Um, but from what I can gather the Dutch last night chose not to 
implement VAR. Is that right? I, I don't know, to be completely honest. I don't know about that. It's, uh, yes, it's, I'm not 100% sure of, of why it wasn't used, but clearly there was, um, the, in, in the initial play, there was a Dutch player who'd strayed into an offside position before Stanway got caught in possession. Um, and the the lines the lineswoman wasn't in line with the with where the ball was being played, unfortunately. So right up it should have been chalked off as offside, but um Yes, absolutely. Unfortunately it it, it stood. Um and, and we've got a little we've got a right to feel aggrieved, but but them's the uh, them's the rules. It was a, an entertaining last few minutes of the first half. We kind of grew back into the game. Uh, I say last few minutes. It was probably from the, yeah, no, probably last last five, ten minutes. Rachel Daly hit the post. I think Lauren Hemp had an effort and the, um, the Dutch keeper made a double save. Uh, although then the Netherlands went down the upper end and, and hit the bar. Um, so it, was, it got quite entertaining as England tried to, to get back into it. Absolutely, yeah, but they just couldn't quite get the uh, get get the goal that would take them into the into the lead. Of course, they did equalise. It was a good good finish, wasn't it, by Russo? But um, yeah, yeah, they needed more than that, didn't they? Yeah, Alessia Russo scored um, sort of a six or just past the hour mark on sort of un, unmarked on on a spin and a turn in the box and, and put it past the keeper. But that was pretty much as as good as it got for for England, as we didn't really really press enough the Dutch and Russo was later changed for Lauren James who couldn't really have any sort of impact um, and then we were caught right at the very end Janssen was on as a sub Alex Greenwood was dispossessed in in the middle of the field and she's picked it up run and, and struck from I don't know I think it was it must have been just on the edge of the box um, Mary Earps no chance yeah, but it was it was a poor goal to concede again. There was a there was a really limp pass. I can't remember who who, who it was. I don't I don't want to say say a player, and it's mm. not it wasn't them. But it was a limp pass into midfield that was just never going to meet its its intended recipient, and 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 the Netherlands broke and scored excellently through Anthony. It just it was just such a poor goal to concede, and you saw by Erks' uh, reaction and and Bright as soon as the ball came off the net and back out onto the pitch she booted it into there herself you know there was such frustration about England but they they should have been it's not, it's not just about the minute of the match you've conceded in the, the 19th minute it's also about how you've conceded it's, it was really poor yeah i know although we, it was an excellent finish wasn't it oh without a doubt Wonder, wonderfully struck and uh, i think she was just about to come under pressure from from one of the defenders and she's put it away nicely um it's, it's a great strike no no issues with that at all um so yeah we come out of the game one or come out of the the first couple of games of the nations league with three points we're currently third in the group behind the netherlands who are on three and belgium who top it with four scotland um, scored a last-minute equaliser to get a draw with Belgium up at Hampden Park. We spoke, it may have been the last time we spoke, and I said could um, the likes of Leo Williamson, Beth Mead, Frank Kirby, could they could they get back into this side? And I'm now beginning to think, do you know what, I think you said at the time, yes, there, there should be no, no issues with them getting back in. And I maybe I was a little bit, not reluctant, but I think I, I thought they they would struggle to get back in. But I think now it's clear that 
they they need to be returning to the squad. I think we're just missing something now. Yeah, I don't, I don't, but I don't think that in the knockout stages when England reached that World Cup final, I don't think that it was exceptional all around England performances that got it that got England there. I, I would more say that it was um, outstanding individual displays. I mean, it was a great shot from Ella Toon, which which got England level against Australia in the semi-final. And then, of course, Hemp played so well in that second half. But these are individuals. This wasn't, uh, these didn't feel like team victories. So I think uh, coming back into the squad, as you say, Williamson and Mead shouldn't find it too much of a problem. It's not like England are playing excellent free-flowing football with, with all 11 players difficult to be dropped. I wouldn't say that's the situation England find themselves in. I don't think England are playing badly. But I don't think they're playing football where you look at all of them and you think she's undroppable, she's undroppable, she's undroppable. I wouldn't say that's that's where we are. Okay, I see there was a, a quote from Millie Bright uh, after the game. She said, "We've got to rest, recover, and go again, and reflect because games are getting harder and harder, uh, and these opponents are getting better and better." Um, which to me is exactly what. Maybe the Lionesses need, but it was exactly what the the Nations League is intended for, isn't it? Absolutely. There's you don't learn anything from playing against low block sides in qualifiers that you know you'll you'll win. I mean, it's it's good fun for, you know, little girls and boys to go along to those games and see England win eight nil, but it doesn't help anyone. It certainly doesn't help England when it uh, you know, when they get to, to business end of a tournament. Uh, in those at those parts of a tournament, what you need is to be able to count on experience that you've developed over the previous years of how to grapple a, ba- a match back into your control or or how to capitalise on having the control. And, uh, and and you don't necessarily learn that by playing qualifiers against Latvia and Luxembourg with respect to those nations. Yeah. So yeah, the, the Nations League was brought in for exactly this and potentially it was even more needed in the women's game than it was the men's. So uh, yeah, it's very, it's very good that UEFA have finally brought it in uh, belatedly I would say to the women's game but it's good that it's here now and it, and it will make England better yeah I had a quick look around the the other results um on the night uh the first match night um there were no real massive score lines other than Finland beat Slovakia 4-0 and then uh, last night I think Israel Spain both scored five but again no real massive results which no. which is good to see I think Yes, absolutely. It's healthy, isn't it? Yes, yeah, absolutely. One thing I I was aware of after speaking with Rich Laverty um, on the the preview podcast, but I I didn't really sort of take it in properly. I wasn't aware of how the Olympics sort of filtered into the Nations League. Do you want to yes. maybe maybe explain that to to the listeners? Yeah, well, so so Olympic qualification works through the Nations League and. And there aren't that many European nations that, that can qualify for, for the Olympic Games next summer. So I think how it works for England is that, that the great British nation or the, or the UK nation whose results matter um, is England, uh, as opposed to Scotland, which, of course, is uh, controversial given that they're in the same group. Yeah. But I think basically, as I understand it, England need to finish in the top two in the Nations League. I think they need to get to the final or they can finish third if france get to the final i, I think see. that is i think that is how it works so let's say 
there but that's was... not in their group. That's in the overall tournament. So they absolutely would need to win their group to, yes. have, any, to have any chance of that. So come, I think, is it February, I think, when the, mm. the Nations League finals are? If England have topped this particular group and they will face three other teams who have also topped their their group and they'll play in the finals next February, the two teams that get to the finals would go towards the Olympics, providing so, yeah, that's right. that one of them isn't France. Mm. Yes, okay. exactly, yeah. Okay, so and and just to clarify, if if it is England that then go towards the Olympics, as they would they represent Team GB, but not be able to incorporate any Scottish players, is that right? So they would represent Team GB, but I believe they would be able to call on okay. players from the other nations. Um, right. I, I, I can't imagine they would be the, the, the Scottish players, for example, or Welsh players, Northern Irish players would be barred from playing for Team GB. That that doesn't feel likely. Um, no. Uh, I, I need to give it a second look, but I believe those players would come into it if England got there. But, you know, it's a tough ask, isn't it? It's a tough oh, yeah. ask to get to that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, well. Perhaps we can. Uh, perhaps we can come back to that when we uh, when we speak again. Um, but yeah, overall England's performances. What would you? How would you rate them? And, and going forward towards the the Belgium double header in October. Yeah, there, there were some moments in both games where I thought England were stringing together nice passes quickly and 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 getting the better of their opponents, showing chemistry between themselves but but certainly I think the the overall message is that there's definitely room for improvement and particularly we didn't see in either match England have control of the of the the game for the whole 90 minutes and that's something which which they may need to uh, address so definitely room for improvement but a decent start you know with with Belgium having beaten the Netherlands on the opening day and of course dropping points against Scotland it's it's definitely all to play for. There's there's no infallible team in this group. England has got to hope that they prove over the next few months that they're the least infallible. Absolutely, yeah. Belgium home and away next month. Uh, Dom, as always, pleasure to speak to you. Um, maybe we can uh, we can catch up again then. Sounds good to me. Thank you very much for having me on again. My many thanks to Dom there. You can follow him on social media. Just give him a search, you'll find him. Uh, You'll also find him in the back pages of the Evening Standard 2. Now, you may have seen both England and Scotland wore black armbands. In the game, they played together at Sunderland. Uh, They also observed a minute's silence. This was the passing of Maddie Cusack, who died suddenly on Wednesday, the 20th of September, aged just 27 years old. Uh, She was Sheffield United's vice captain and had previously represented England at under 19 age group. Uh, This was in an October 2013 training camp fixture against Norway. Uh, It was a match that Beth Mead also featured. Uh, The girls won the game 1-0 at Loughborough University. She was also part of the squad that went to Norway the following year 
in 2014 for the Under-19 European Championships, uh, although England they didn't fare too well there, finishing bottom of the group. Reading about her, she seemed to have quite the effect on all those around her. Sheffield United too, where she also worked. I saw Rich Laverty posted some nice words and of course he's closely connected with the club too. Maddie formerly played for Birmingham, Aston Villa, Leicester City and Nottingham Forest too. It's just incredibly sad um, that a player, anyone aged so young, 27 years old, so condolences to her family and friends and all at Sheffield United Football Club. That's all for this episode. Once again, thank you very much for tuning in. I'll be back with you very soon. I've been promising an episode from the Your England Journey series for some time now. Uh, I'm going to put one out, I promise you. Apologies for the delay on that. But if you'd like to contribute to an episode telling us how you got into following our national side and the ride it's taken you on, either following the Lionesses or the senior men, please do get in touch. Let's chat. Best way is email threelionspodcast at gmail.com. So until the next time, take care of yourselves. Cheers. <laughs>